We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go! Episode 547 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Tuesday, April 11, 2023, off a Monday on which we had news and or games for the Commanders, Wizards, Capitals, Nationals, and Orioles. A lot be happening on Monday, so it's a good thing that you're with us, however you are with us, whenever you are with us. That's the beauty of the podcast. You listen at your convenience. Hello and welcome to this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi Podcast, the show that follows Washington, D.C. area sports so that you don't have to. Uh, We on Monday morning had an update on the sale of the NFL team based in the Washington, D.C. area. That team is known, for now anyway, as the Commanders. We also had an update on one of the team's many, and I mean many, investigations. The team and the city of Washington, D.C. have reached a settlement in the ticket deposits lawsuit that D.C. filed against the team back in November. Remember that? No? Well, you are forgiven. Easy to get confused with everything happening with the team. Uh, But this settlement is yet another reason to believe that a sale of the commanders is coming. And so joining me next segment is a most special guest, Howard Gutman, the former United States ambassador to Belgium, a big Commanders fan, a dedicated listener of this podcast, and a good friend of billionaire Mitchell Rails, who, of course, is part of the group being led by Philadelphia 76ers managing partner and New Jersey Devils managing partner Josh Harris to buy the Commanders. Howard Gutman is going to spend some time with us discussing the settlement of this lawsuit by Washington, D.C. of the commanders. But the primary focus of the conversation is going to be Mitchell Rails and the Josh Harris Group, which also includes NBA legend Magic Johnson. Howard is going to give us great insight and perspective on Rails and what the commanders would be getting in him and also Harris. Howard Gutman, next segment with uh, insight, the likes of which very few can provide. Uh, Also on the show, the Wizards. uh, They on Monday morning conducted season-ending press conferences. There were two things in particular that stood out to me. One from the team president and general manager, Tommy Shepard, 
uh, and one from Bradley Beal. I will play and react to both items. Uh, The Capitals now have just two games left in the team season. It is not a playoff season for the Caps, but they on Monday night authored quite the win, a 5-2 win over the New York Islanders at Capital Win Arena, despite the Caps being without a number of key players, and despite the Islanders being a team that is fighting for its postseason life. The Caps on Monday night embracing the role of spoiler. I have some thoughts on the game. Speaking of impressive wins, the Nationals, they late night on Monday night, put together a 6-4 come-from-behind win at the Los Angeles Angels. The Nats overcame a 4-1 fourth-inning deficit and got excellent bullpen work, including Hunter Harvey striking out the great Mike Trout and then the great Shohei Otani, although that happened over two innings. But still, I have a proper Nat segment for you. And I'll talk Orioles. They won on Monday evening. Geez, a lot of winning on Monday night. The Caps won. The Nats won. The O's won. A 5-1 win over the Oakland A's at Oriole Park at Camden Yards as starter Kyle Gibson pitched well. And the O's smashed three home runs while, by the way, debuting a new home run celebration, a home run funnel with which players in the dugout chug water. We think it's water <laughs> after hitting home runs. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Al Galdi podcast, if you would like to advertise your business or practice on the pod and reach thousands of people every episode at a very affordable price, hit us up. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Mike Harwell on the sale of the Commanders, including Amazon founder Jeff Bezos potentially buying the team and how that potential impacts our co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder. Writes, Mike, like everyone else, I am awaiting the news about a new owner. Feels like it's coming soon. Bezos has always been the big shadow in this soap opera. For some reason, I have found myself rooting for him. I'm not really sure why other than his wealth would seem to make the transition quick and without any drama from the NFL owners. But who knows? He could be a nightmare hands-on owner and continue the Snyder tradition. If Bezos is not interested, I just cannot come up with a logical reason for why he has not publicly stated that. Him staying in the background, if he is not interested, only benefits Snyder. But they are not friends. Why would Bezos do that? Since I cannot answer that question, I think that he will be the new owner. But keep in mind, I never thought that Trump and Biden (laughs) would be presidents. Uh, Thank you for the email, Mike. Yeah, Mike's logic is sound. The prospect of Jeff Bezos buying the commanders, no matter how legitimate, only benefits Dan Snyder. So if there isn't legitimacy to Jeff potentially buying the team, why wouldn't he or his camp make it clear that there isn't that legitimacy because otherwise Jeff is being used by Dan to make more money off the sale. Uh, So that line of thinking does make sense. I think what's confusing or at least tough to decipher is what exactly is Jeff Bezos waiting for in terms of bidding on the team if he hasn't yet bid on the team? Like the process of the sale seems to be moving. If Jeff truly wants the team, then at some point he needs to bid on the team. If he hasn't yet made a bid, and there has been no reporting that he has made a bid, Uh, why hasn't he yet made a bid? But, you know, it's possible that he has made a bid and that that just has not been reported. Uh, Email from someone who refers to him or herself as your nonpartisan political correspondent, all right? 
uh, writes this person, thanks so much, as always, for your awesome work on the podcast. There might not be a lot to cheer for at the moment in DC sports, but your insightful commentary, geez, and smart takes always give us a lot to think about. And really, what is the point of sports for sports fans if not to endlessly think and talk and debate about them? Uh, well, thank you for that, continues the nonpartisan political correspondent. So here's what's bugging me. The vast majority of Washington commentators, including the many excellent guests you've had on the pod, and fans, of course, are convinced that Dan Snyder is primarily responsible for the team's awfulness since he bought the team. And full disclosure, I agree with you all. But let me offer this disturbing thought. What if all of us are at least partially wrong? Of course, we know that Snyder is incompetent, but what if there's something else going on? Something that has made Washington a market that's hard to win in. Did Dan Snyder cause the 45 years of futility for the Washington Bullets slash Wizards? Did Snyder turn a Georgetown basketball program that was nationally known kids all over the country once proudly wore Georgetown gear into the basketball backwater that Georgetown basketball is today? Did Snyder convince players like Bryce Harper and Anthony Rendon to sign with other teams? Did Snyder trade Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, and Juan Soto? Well, given it is Snyder, maybe he did, and maybe that's what Mary Jo White is investigating. Seriously, we know that top NFL talent usually chooses other teams over Washington, and we blame that on Snyder, but it's not just the NFL. Top NBA talent doesn't want to come to D.C. either. What major free agents have the Nats snagged since Patrick Corbin in 2018? When was the last time that Georgetown had a player the caliber of Allen Iverson? Maybe it's not Snyder, or more accurately, maybe it's not just Snyder. Depressing as it sounds, maybe a much better owner will have only slightly better results than the Danny has had. This shouldn't be the case. DC is an extremely lucrative market, lots of money, but maybe we're not seeing something. You're a sharp analytical guy. I would love to hear your opinion. I have a few ideas about this, but nothing that I would pitch to an editor yet. And maybe it's never a city's fault that it has sports teams like Cleveland has. Maybe I'm crazy, but maybe not. And of course, Feel free to tell me that I'm totally wrong. Hope this time that I am. Uh, Thank you for the email. Man, that is a rather depressing thought that there is something inherent about the Washington, D.C. area market to where our sports teams do not do well. Well, the obvious response would be that one team's struggles have nothing to do with another team's struggles, right? I mean, the struggles of the Skins slash Washington football team slash commanders have nothing to do with the struggles of the Bullets slash Wizards, and their struggles have nothing to do with the struggles of the Nationals, and their struggles have nothing to do with the struggles of Georgetown basketball, etc. I mean, I don't think that there is anything inherent about the Washington, D.C. area that makes it like a repellent for sports success. Uh, quite the contrary, actually. And of course, there has been a lot of sports success in this area over time. Now, lately, no, things have not gone well for Washington, D.C. area sports. But even in saying that, like, let's define lately. I mean, the Capitals won the Stanley Cup in 2018. The Nationals won the World Series in 2019. We are in the year 2023. You know, 2018 and 2019 really aren't that long ago. Uh, the emailer mentioned that the Nats have not made a major free agent signing since signing starting pitcher Patrick Corbin in December 2018. That's true, but, you know, that's mostly, if not entirely, because the Nats have not tried to make a major free agent signing since then, not because players have been turning down the Nats. Uh, actually, the Nats and the Caps have made a bunch of major free agent signings over the last, say, 
10 years, even the skin slash WFT slash commanders have made plenty of major free agent signings over the last 10 years. This thing that nobody wants to come or stay with our football team to me uh, is overrated. Uh, But look, I am always open to a good theory, okay? But I'm not sure what theory there would be for a common denominator for DC area teams struggling other than, hey, that's sports, (laughs) you know? Being a sports fan is about a lot of pain and a lot of frustration and a lot of heartbreak. The ratio of pain and frustration and heartbreak to glory as a sports fan, that ratio is a big time ratio. But, you know, that's part of being a sports fan. And that's why the glory means so much, because the glory is rare and the glory is precious. Well, Glorious is a new sponsor of the Al Galdi podcast, Catering by Uptown. Uh, Catering by Uptown is the DMV's number one catering service. It is a family business that prides itself on its signature dishes and flawless presentations. And Catering by Uptown goes beyond just food. Catering by Uptown offers personalized consultation and event planning assistance that is outstanding, including venue coordination, custom catering menu selection from over a thousand delicious dish selections, and a day of event coordinator who will make sure that everything runs smoothly. From putting together and executing a menu, to picking linens, to selecting an excellent florist, Catering by Uptown is committed to meeting your needs and exceeding your expectations. Whether you are having a wedding or a corporate event, an intimate gathering or a gala, Catering by Uptown is the way to go. Here's what you do. Visit cateringbyuptown.com and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Check out the reviews. Nearly 500 reviews averaging 4.6 out of 5 stars. Visit cateringbyuptown.com. That's cateringbyuptown.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, a big help is if you subscribe to rate and review the podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast via most platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, A subscription to the pod costs you nothing and make sure that you never miss an episode. Uh, You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review can be just a sentence or two. Can be more, but doesn't have to be. And thank you for subscribing, rating, and and reviewing. We on Monday morning had multiple news items regarding the sale of the Commanders and or Commanders co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder. Sports Business Insider AJ Perez of Front Office Sports. He on Monday morning reported that the sale process remains at a standstill and that while the bid from the group being led by Philadelphia 76ers managing partner and New Jersey Devils managing partner Josh Harris is close to what Dan Snyder would accept, Dan appears to be waiting for somebody perhaps Amazon founder Jeff Bezos, to get the bidding beyond $6 billion. Quote, the Washington Commanders are headquartered in Northern Virginia, where the average house sells in 34 days. The team has been on the market for 159 days, and so far, there is only one legitimate offer. And that offer from Philadelphia 76ers and New Jersey Devils owner Josh Harris isn't one that Commanders owner Dan Snyder is quite ready to accept 
for his fixer upper franchise. <laughs> FOS reported nearly two weeks ago Harris's group, which includes billionaire industrial firm founder Mitchell Rails and NBA legend and entrepreneur Magic Johnson, entered a bid between $5.5 billion and $6 billion. Meanwhile, Snyder is hoping there's enough curb appeal for another bidder to enter the picture, and he may need Amazon founder Jeff Bezos to make that a reality. Bezos hired a banking firm but has not entered the bidding process. Houston Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta hasn't been engaged in the process for weeks, one source said, end quote. So what has appeared to be the case is, in fact, the case, at least according to A.J. Perez. Dan Snyder is begging Jeff Bezos to bid on the commanders, but whether Jeff wants to bid on the team remains a mystery. The Jeff Bezos factor remains the number one mystery in this saga that is the sale of the commanders. Meantime, do you remember those lawsuits that Washington, D.C. filed against the commanders? Uh, Then Washington, D.C. Attorney General Carl Racine last November announced two separate lawsuits against Pro Football Inc., which actually is the official parent company of the commanders. Uh, The second lawsuit had to do with ticket deposits. Racine, last November 17th, announced, quote, a lawsuit against Pro Football Inc., which owns the Washington Commanders football team, for implementing an illegal scheme to cheat district ticket holders out of their deposits for season tickets and use the money for its own purposes, end quote. Well, uh, these lawsuits were filed despite Racine having not sought re-election. He left office This past January, Washington, D.C.'s new attorney general is Brian Schwab. He on Monday morning announced that his office and the commanders have reached a settlement agreement for that second lawsuit, the uh, tickets deposit lawsuit, an agreement by which the commanders will pay a $425,000 fine to D.C. and will refund the remaining $200,000 in ticket deposits to fans of the team in D.C. Additionally, the settlement agreement stipulates that the office of the D.C. Attorney General will maintain strict oversight over the commanders. Well, with all of this happening, uh, now is as good of a time as ever to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, Howard Gutman, the former United States ambassador to Belgium. Uh, Howard was U.S. ambassador to Belgium from August 2009 to July 2013. He is a 1977 graduate of Columbia University and a 1980 graduate of Harvard Law School. Uh, He has appeared in several movies and television shows. He is the host of the political commentary radio show As I See It on News Radio WRVA in Richmond, Virginia, and on the Odyssey app. Uh, He is a big fan and astute observer of the Commanders. He is a loyal listener of this podcast, and he is good friends with and a strategic advisor for billionaire Mitchell Rails, who is a key part of the Josh Harris group trying to buy the commanders. So you can follow the ambassador on Twitter at the Howard Gutman. Ambassador Gutman, how are you? I'm doing great, Al. I hope you had a great holiday and thanks for having me on. Great to have you on. Before we get to Mitchell Rails, uh, this settlement agreement between Washington, D.C. and the commanders regarding the D.C. lawsuit of the team over ticket deposits. Uh, we back in November talked about this lawsuit that was brought forth by the D.C. AG at the time, Carl Racine. Uh, the commanders on Monday morning did put out a statement, quote, we have not accepted security deposits or seat licenses in more than a decade and have been actively working 
to return any remaining deposits. Since 2014, we are pleased to have reached an agreement on the matter with the D.C. Attorney General and will work with the office to fulfill our obligations to our fans, end quote. Uh, what do you make of the settlement? So I think the settlement makes a lot of sense, particularly in light of the sale. Uh, if you remember, um, the D.C. Attorney General, Carl Racine, brought two separate suits. One claimed that it was a consumer protection violation not to tell your season ticket, your, your ticket purchasers that there's workplace misconduct. And we said that suit is out of left field and crazy. But the second suit was a straightforward consumer protection suit. Have you wrongfully withheld uh, season ticket deposits? Have you not done your job to return them? And that is something an attorney general should protect. And if you'll recall, Brian Frosch, the Maryland attorney general, in about a week after those allegations arose, settled it for a $250,000 fine. Um, the, the then Redskins, now commanders, have said they've been working since 2014 to get it back. But if you're about to be sold, what you will need to do is sort of straighten out all the potential liabilities. The buyer is either going to want something held in escrow for the potential liabilities. Uh, and if something is settled and behind you, that concretizes it a lot better than having it out there as an issue. Now we know at least their liability to Maryland was 250000 so the commanders are fine. The liability to D.C. is a fine of $425,000, and they basically quantified that what we're talking about is about 200000 in outstanding um, season ticket deposits. So that's the devil we know. That's the devil that will be paid, and presumably before the closing that will be resolved. Uh, if I were a buyer, I would check with Virginia and make sure they're happy with that, that they don't want their pound of flesh as well. And in theory, Al, I hate to say it, any state attorney general who had a season ticket holder living there could in theory claim they have a consumer protection issue. But I suspect uh, with the two fines so far in Virginia deciding what they'll do, that should resolve that part of the potential liabilities for any new buyer. With the sale of the team, any lawsuits against the team convey so long as those lawsuits are against the team and not Dan Snyder, correct? Yeah, so if there were a criminal investigation of the team or if there's an outstanding civil lawsuit, the fact that the team is sold doesn't prevent liability. If it's an individual suit against Dan Snyder, it continues as well. The fact that he sold one of his assets doesn't change anything. Um, so the way a buyer would do this in a sale is do their most due diligence to understand what the potential liabilities, what present lawsuits exist, what threatened lawsuits, what insurance exists, and presumably either get some sort of indemnity from the seller or an indemnity with an escrow of some of the money to cover the outstanding liabilities for a certain period of time. But no one's got to pay whatever that number will be, somewhere between, you know, five and six billion dollars or whatever it will be. No one's going to pay that. Um, on the one hand, and have, you know, a potential multi-million dollar liability out there that they didn't know of. All right, so let's get to it. The sale of the commanders, uh, something for which you have particular insight. I know that you can only say so much, but you know Mitchell Rails well. 
Tell us, if you would, about your relationship with him and what the commanders would be getting in him if the Josh Harris group wins this bidding on the team. So I'm really excited if uh, Mitch can be part of uh, the group to buy it, along with Josh Harris, who I know, Josh Harris, I know only by reputation, but for from my perspective, the fact that Mitch is delighted to partner with Josh Harris on a bid, hopefully on acquiring it, speaks volumes. Um, I, I've gone back from, as a relatively young lawyer, either in the late 80s, or early 90s, with Mitch and his brother Steve, um, as a as a lawyer, um, as a friend since then. I was at Mitch's wedding when he got married to Emily, and as a strategic advisor up to today. Um, and the reason is um, knowing Mitch, knowing the family, knowing their dad, Norman Rails, um, is first, uh, Mitch went to Whitman. Josh Harris went to field school. Um, they are local. They grew up, um, you know, fans of our Redskins. But even more importantly, on Sunday, Norman Rails would take his sons and drive them to Friendship Heights. And they would take the bus every Sunday from Friendship Heights to our every Sunday of a home game from Friendship Heights to RFK. So two early things that I would love to see in an owner is someone who bleeds the Redskins, who understands the history, who feels John Riggins busting to, you know, into the secondary and knows what that means for this city, for this region, um, number one. And number two, that they took the bus to get there. So no matter how many billions they're paying, they never forget where they came from. So that's the first thing that Mitch and, and Josh Harris would bring. But second, you know, Al, the problem in this town was not that our owner was not a fan. No one will accuse Dan Snyder of not having been a huge fan of the team. It's just he bought the team when he was 35 years old with one commercial success, and he thought that that meant... He could just translate that. Compare that to Mitch. There is no question that in partnership with his brother um, in Danaher, Mitch Rails and Steve Rails created the finest homegrown business in the D.C. area. It's the 130th on the you know, Fortune 500 list of companies. But it's taught at the Harvard Business School, the Danaher business model, as an epitome of organization excellence of thinking through how you actually run businesses to make them work. Um, so that's on the one hand. And then he partnered decades later with his wife, Emily, to create the, the finest cultural institution hand-raised in, in Washington, not by a government, uh, in the Glenstone Museum, which today, in five years since he opened Glenstone with Emily, is recognized as one of the finest modern museums of art in the world. And Al, you know what it costs to go see Glenstone and visit the collection? How much? Not a penny. Yep. Uh, it's free to because art should be shared with the community. Do you know how much the cafeteria marks up the food? Not a penny. It's at cost. The bookstore, if you go to buy a gift for your kid or a book, an art book, they're at cost. This is part of Mitch believing this should be shared with the community, which, by the way, this is not something thought of for the acquisition of the commanders or for the Al Galdi show. Mitch has often said, 
long before any of us thought there was going to be a team for sale, that if you take care of a, the community, the investment will always take care of itself. So for me, what a difference that should be. Uh, and uh, uh, look, they're going to make mistakes, and there's a huge task ahead in getting the ship fully righted. I think Jason Wright and his team have tried to do that very well, but you know, it, it, it's gonna, it didn't take long, it took a long time for us to go from glory to the basement. Getting back out of the basement takes hard work, but I know Josh Harris and Mitch Rails and their team um, will be the right people to put in that hard work. We are discussing the sale of the Commanders with Howard Gutman, the former U.S. ambassador to Belgium, a big Commanders fan. He is friends with potential Commanders buyer Mitchell Rails. Were Mitchell Rails and Josh Harris already friends prior to joining forces to buy the Commanders, or is it this pursuit to buy the Commanders that brought Rails and Harris together? Well, I know they know each other. There is a community there. Josh Harris founded Apollo. Mitch Rails founded Danaher. These are two, they're both from the local area. It's, uh, it's not like he wouldn't know who he was and he wouldn't know who he was, but it was, it was certainly um, brought closer together uh, by the decision about what should, should, you know, what should happen to the commanders and should they have a say in that um, and, and do their best to acquire it. So, um, you know, I, I was at Mitch's wedding. I don't recall if Josh Harris was there, but there's certainly in the community that knows each other, um, uh, you know, Apollo Private Equity Group is a pretty significant group in their, in their circles. The Josh Harris Mitchell Rails Group, of course, also includes NBA legend Magic Johnson. What does the involvement of Magic say to you? Which shows me ex- exactly what I would have expected. Um, getting a seat on that bus, the bus that could own the commanders, that's a pretty important seat. And so you handpick who gets on that seat, not just by who can write a check. Yes, they have to write a check. This, it's not a charity. But they've got to be able to add to the community. They have to have, uh, uh, um, you know, be part of lifting this up, not looking for their bottom line. They've got to get, get along with their partners. And Magic Johnson, whether it's in the movie theaters, whether it's in the parts of the sports teams uh, he's elevated, you see his face, you see his smile, you understand that that if he heard he was investing with someone who said, take care of the community and the investment will take care of itself, Magic would say, I wish I had said that first. They are just online. So it's not just anybody. Um, it is people that they know um, will help, help the overall mission, will understand that you don't get the last nickel out of every hot dog. Both Josh Harris and Mitchell Rails are known to be fairly private people. To what extent would they be out there as commander's owners if they bought the team? Would they do interviews? Would they be visible? Or would they be much more behind the scenes? Generally behind the scenes. Um, uh, they Look, Mitch is present at Glenstone publicly, but generally Emily would be the voice um, because... Um, she's more comfortable, and Mitch isn't doing this to get spotlight on Mitch. And in fact, they're private because um, at that, that stage, the privacy helps. They've got families. Um, they've often always been concerned about um, how the profile affects their family. So I expect they would be 
they would be quiet, um, but they will put the right people in the right places. They, Glenstone is not silent. Glenstone is heard throughout the community, but it's not Mitch speaking, uh, although he's active in, in the decisions. Mitch believes you put the best people in the, in the jobs that they are the best person for. You give them the resources they need to do the jobs well, and then you let them do their jobs. I can tell you, Mitch is not going to say, boy, I'd like to see Donovan McNabb throw a touchdown <laughs> for our team. You know? He's not going to think he's smarter than Marty Schottenheimer or the Shanahan's. That ain't happening. That's good, because as we know, that kind of thing has happened under the current owner. There has been a lot of talk about the change for the commanders that could happen when the sale happens, whenever that is, would a Josh Harris, Mitchell Rails ownership potentially make immediate changes? Would the approach be more cautious and measured? What do you think? Well, I would, I would never speak for them on their plans for the team, but I can tell you, um, Mitch studies problems, understands businesses, and then makes thoughtful decisions. So, um, it, it would seem by his style, everything he ever did. Danaher is a, a company that acquires businesses after much study and then writes the ships in an orderly way. Um, you know, so that's kind of their modus operandi. So I would suspect you would see that with the commanders as well. Uh, the Jeff Bezos mystery, to what degree is he a factor in the sale of the commanders? I want to ask you this. It would seem that if Bezos didn't have interest in buying the team, he would make that clear so that his name could not continually be used by Team Dan Snyder in an attempt to drive up the price of the team. And so because Bezos hasn't made it clear that he isn't interested in buying the team, he must have at least some interest in buying the team. Is that an accurate read of the situation, in your opinion? So no one can ultimately know what's in Dan's mind and Jeff Bezos' mind. Um, and so, but the good news is, therefore, no one has inside information there. Um, if Jeff Bezos wanted to step up and offer something that, you know, Dan wanted to, to have. But what I can tell you is Dan's job in this sale for his kids for his family, for himself, is try to do the very best he can in the sale. And so whether it's real or whether it's a stalking horse, whether he's, whether there are people in Houston or Canada who actually have money and are ready to get rid of their casinos and go through all this, or it's just someone to point to, only Dan can know that for sure. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and say it's impossible for a last minute, whatever, but um, but the community should should be hoping that at least uh, we get someone who's gone through the process orderly, done their due diligence, understands how to take businesses, and, and that the team wasn't treated as flippantly in the sale as some would argue it happened during the ownership. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you have any sense of when this process of the sale of the commanders might end? Um, so... I think people who thought it could end three months ago had reasons to believe it. People who think it could end this week have reasons to believe it. And it, could we be talking in two months? It's that same issue. Until all the issues are done, they're not done. So 
Um, what would have happened today if Carl Racine had come out with $25 million of liability instead of 200000 for the tickets? Yeah. Would that then open a new round of negotiation? So until, uh, you know, un- until it is locked and sealed, uh, it isn't. And have deals come apart at the last minute all the time and then been re-put together? And has that happened multiple times? Sure. But I think people who report in earnest that they thought a deal was close, that the bids were in, all you have to do is pick it and do so. They were well-meaning. Um, it's just uh, the, the process by its nature is really in one person's hands, ultimately, uh, as to when to make it final. This reported Dan Snyder quest for indemnification uh, the Washington Post on February 27th reported that Dan was demanding that other NFL owners indemnify him against any future legal liability and expenses if he sells the team, angering some NFL owners and NFL commissioner Roger Goodell. Is Dan getting indemnification realistic? Well, you know, uh, that's too broad a, a, a brush. I want indemnification from everything. Yeah. Certainly, if there's certainly there could be things that the league has done wrong that Dan didn't know of as an owner, that when he's done, he wants to be cleared of. Um, then there are things that, but I, knowing Jeff Tash for 40 years, Jeff Tash was a classmate in law school, the general counsel of the NFL, and he's another friend of mine for decades. Jeff is a good lawyer. Dan is represented by Stu Nash and his his team to work for me. They're all good lawyers. If they want to get a sale done, they will understand what is properly indemnifiable and what is an unreasonable ask. And ultimately, if people truly mean to get a sale done, this sale will happen. Um, it won't. It won't collapse over an unreasonable indemnification claim. If it does, then I would take it that there was never true desire to sell in the first place. And that, of course, always has been a concern. Final question, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but it is very encouraging to hear all of the good things that you've had to say about Mitchell Rails. Is there a story or an anecdote or something that you can tell us that truly captures what we as Commanders fans would have in Rails as an owner of the team? I'll do you better than that. The best Rails to have bought this team was their dad, Norman Rails. And I'll tell you one or two stories that will reflect, I suspect, on the character of all his sons. So I was once over at Glenstone, and I I had met Norman several times. Norman Rails, their dad, grew up in an orphanage. Uh, And when you leave the orphanage, they hand you five bucks. And that's where you start life. Um, And Norman started... Uh, working first construction and ultimately had uh, opened a series of basically home depots and did quite well. By the way, Norman was a minority owner of the Texas Rangers. Wow. Um, so there, and in fact, I once was talking to Norman Rails, Mitch's dad, and I said, when did you decide to sell? Uh, you know, wasn't it fun? He said, you know what drove me from baseball? And I said, no, Mr. Rails, what drove you from baseball? And he said, Bump Wills. Bump Wills was Maury Wills' kid. And Bump Wills was second baseman for the Rangers. And I said, how did Bump Wills drive you from baseball, Mr. Rails? And he said, well, we had just finished the season. They were doing the clean outs of the locker room. I was in the office. 
And on the way out, Bump Wills comes by and sees me. And he says, Mr. Rails, I'd like to make a million dollars next year. And I looked at Bump Wills and said, Bump, you hit 200 this year. <laughs> and Bump Wills turned to me and said, yes, but I'm planning to do better next year. <laughs> so that's the guy, the guy. And when he tells the story, you it was like Thurgood Marshall was the only one I ever saw who could captivate an audience this way. When he tells the story, you're listening. He tells the story another one, and then I'll tell you the one that's relevant to Mitch. He also tells the story. He had either a Home Depot kind of store or a restaurant in French Lick, Indiana. And I tell you that because it might spark a little recollection in you. And there was a local kid in French Lick who was a really good basketball player. Oh, boy. But needed a job. And he hired Larry Bird to clean out his dumpsters. Larry Bird cleaned Norman Rail's dumpsters when the business is closed as a teenager uh, to, so he could throw him some money. But here's the story. I'm at Glenstone, and there's a bunch of older people, some couples, some men, all with Norm Rails, who's in his 80s by then. And I said to Mitch or Steve, what's going on there? And they explain that that was the Orphanage's basketball team. There had been 10 guys on the Orphanage's basketball team. One of them died fighting in World War II. Um, Eight plus Norm carried on. And after Norm had made his money, every once a year on a three-day weekend, Norm paid for the eight and their wives to all get together with him and his wife. And the nine of them got together at some vacation place, um, either, you know, Mexico or Canada or Las Vegas or the Grand Canyon. And he paid for it all those years. And when Mitch opened Glenstone, he brought them all to Glenstone. He paid for all of his orphanages, guys. He never forgot where he came from. And if you're brought up in that household, there are certain values that I see every day in the rails. And those are the values I'd love to see on the commanders. Wow. The perfect way to end our conversation. Tremendous insight from the great Howard Gutman on potential commander's part owner Mitchell Rails, who is part of the group being led by Josh Harris to buy the team. Ambassador, thank you so much. All the best. My pleasure. All the best, Al. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, we on Monday morning had season-ending press conferences uh, for our Wizards. Uh, As yes, their season has ended. Uh, A lot of people spoke. The general sentiment was clear. Uh, This Wizards season was not good enough, and of course, nobody disagrees with that. The Wizards missed the playoffs for a fourth time in five seasons. Uh, The Wizards in this just-concluded regular season went just 35 and 47, second consecutive regular season in which the Wizards went just 35 and 47. I spent a good bit of time on Monday's show, episode 546, talking about the Wizards, including the state of the team. Uh, the Wizards are a true tribute to mediocrity. Not bad enough to be awful, uh, but not good enough to be great. Uh, but this season was especially unacceptable, given the supposed talent on the team, given that the Wizards last July resigned Bradley Beal to the five-year $251 million Supermax contract. And when you look at what happened this season, I mean, two of the Wizards' top three players, Kyle Kuzma and Chris Dapps Porzingis, had two of their best seasons. And yet still, the Wizards went 35-47. and 47. Uh, This was Wizards president and general manager Tommy Shepard on Monday morning. I'll uh, just say it short and sweet. This, this was a disappointing year. You know, I think when we look at it from the start to the finish, there were a lot of bright spots, a lot of things that we were excited about, and some things didn't work out. So we're going to spend this offseason really looking at everything that we can to get better. Certainly, I, I, you almost have to salute the – Thank Vegas. What preseason said, we're going to win 35 games. We won 35 games. That's disgusting to me. But what we had the potential to do, I think internally, we have much higher goals. But you can't argue with your record. It is what it is. We got to get better, and that's our intention moving forward. You know, I think you got to spend a little bit of time debriefing, kind of looking and focusing on your process versus the outcome, and see where you can get better with what we have. We know we have to continue to add talent. I think we have to do a lot more. Uh, introspection in terms of what can we do that we can control the shot charts uh, where, where you're getting in your offense what defensively there's some things we got to do better particularly transition defense but I think the talent uh, this year gets a little bit of an incomplete from the standpoint didn't get a lot of opportunities to play together so that messes up your cohesion talking to KP he likes to use the word rhythm we can never get a rhythm together I'm not going to dispute any of that, but at the end of the day, we, we got to do better, and that's our intention. So, All right, good for Tommy Shepard for saying what he said about the Wizards winning just 35 games. Quote, that's disgusting to me, end quote. But, of course, words are one thing, actions are another thing. The Wizards for years have been good about talking about things, but not so good at actually doing those things. Uh, The shine is off Tommy Shepard, okay? He now has four first-round picks to his credit running Wizards basketball operations. And the picks have not been good enough. 2019, Rui Hachimura. 2020, Denny Avdia. 2021, Corey Kispert. 2022, Johnny Davis. Not good enough. Not close 
to good enough. Uh, Tommy's concoction of players for last season ended up being such a mess behind the scenes that the Wizards had to make major changes leading up to the 2022 NBA trade deadline. And Tommy, in the end of the cut that I just played for you, brought up injuries as an excuse for this season. Hey, every NBA team deals with injuries. And while the Wizards this season did deal with a good amount of injuries, injuries aren't why the Wizards went just 35 and 47. The Wizards not being good enough is why the Wizards went 35 and 47. Now, a Wizards player who did miss a lot of time this season due to injuries is Bradley Beal. Uh, Beal, in his first season of the Supermax contract, played in just 50 of the Wizards' 82 regular season games. He last season played in just 40 of the Wizards' 82 regular season games. Bradley Beal, over these last two regular seasons, has played in a whopping 90 of a possible 164 games. And next season is his age 30 season, and we still have four seasons to go (laughs) of that Supermax contract. Uh, This was Bradley Beal on Monday morning. I have to be better, you know, I have to be more available, um, taking care of my body better, and and we all do. I think we all have some knickknacks and missed a lot, missed a few games here and there, and they just never were able to create that synergy, you know, consistently. So, um, you know, I'm excited to see that. We all we all feel like we can get better, and I, I think that's what I love about our group. Nobody feels like, you know, I had the perfect season. You know, no, everybody feels like, you know, it was a failure in some ways, and we just got to, we got to, put our hard hats back on and develop and get better and it's, you know it starts now yes it does uh I thought that that was an interesting admission from Bradley Beal quote I have to be better taking care of my body better end quote uh Beal on February 22nd 2022 underwent surgery to address a torn ligament in his left wrist his recovery from that surgery did impact his work last offseason but still him admitting that he needs to take care of his body better? Uh, yeah, dude, uh, you're making 50 plus million dollars per season. You're an NBA player. That's your job. You have access to things for your health that most people can only dream of. You should be taking the best possible care of your body. Uh, I don't think that Bradley Beal's a bad guy. He, during his season-ending press conference on Monday morning, did say some good stuff. And, you know, it's not his fault that the Wizards have treated him and paid him like the superstar he is not. But the team needs more from him. 50 out of 82 games in this just-concluded regular season, not good enough. Him not doing the best possible job of taking care of his body, not good enough. Be better. The Wizards need to get better, i.e. need to draft better, but they also need to be better, i.e. their players need to be better versions of themselves. And that starts with Bradley Beal. I don't know how likely any of this is, okay? But as we talk about the Wizards being mired in mediocrity, if they're not going to blow the whole thing up, then these are the ways to get out of the mediocrity. Get better, i.e. draft better, and be better, i.e. get your players to be better versions of themselves. Uh, Do not hold your breath (laughs) on any of these things happening. Well, we on the podcast lately have talked about the Capitals having potentially quit on the season, given that the team is not going to the Stanley Cup playoffs this season for the first time in nine seasons. Uh, Well, how about what happened on Monday night? The Caps in their third to last game of the season ripped 
the New York Islanders 5-2 at Capital One Arena. The Caps improved to 35-36-9. They snapped a six-game losing streak and notched just their second regulation win since the start of games on March 12th. Yeah, Monday was April 10th. That win on Monday night was just the Caps' second regulation win since the start of games on March 12th. And this was a devastating loss for the Islanders. Uh, The Islanders no longer have control of their postseason destiny as they battle for one of the Eastern Conference's two wildcard spots. Uh, The Caps on Monday night, again, were without a bunch of key players. Center Nick Dowd joined the list of those who were out. He's dealing with an upper body injury. Winger Alex Ovechkin did not play for a second consecutive game due to an upper body injury. Uh, winger TJ Oshie did not play due to an upper body injury, and he now is done for the season. Uh, winger Anthony Mantha did not play due to a lower body injury. Defenseman Trevor Van Riemsdyk did not play due to an upper body injury, and wingers Connor Brown and Carl Haglund remained out. Uh, The Caps actually have been playing with just 17 skaters as opposed to 18 skaters. Uh, This due to the machinations of the NHL's roster rules, but the Caps on Monday night did win. I mean, at this point, the Caps are better off losing for the purpose of the NHL draft lottery, but the Caps on Monday night won. Uh, Darcy Kemper was the Caps starting goaltender. He had not been playing well lately, but he on Monday night was great. He stopped 38 of the 40 shots on goal that he faced. Kemper, per natural stat trick, stopped 11 of the 13 high danger shots on goal that he faced. As the Caps got walloped in the puck possession battle and yet won the game 5-2, the Caps, per natural stat trick, had just 44 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Islanders' 77, including just 8 5-on-5 high danger shot attempts to the Islanders' 15, and yet the Caps won this game 5-2. Kemper was awesome. This was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Monday night on Darcy Kemper. I thought Kemp's was really good. You know, there's a, they fired a lot of shots tonight. There was a lot of point shots, just wristed from the point. Seemed, you know, there were easier saves for him, but then there was there were some tough ones that he had to make too. And so even even when the the ones are just coming in from the point that he's he can see, he still has to be dialed in for a ton of attempts that are coming at him. And um, I thought he was sharp from start to finish and made big saves when we need him to. But it was good for our group to get a win. Yeah, so Darcy Kemper was good on Monday night. Center Dylan Strom was good on Monday night. Strom remains on fire. He on Monday night scored a goal for a fourth consecutive game, including scoring the first goal of the game for a third consecutive game. Uh, Strom had a first period even strength goal, a third period even strength empty net goal, and a team high four shots on goal. Dylan Strom in this regular season now has 23 goals and 40 assists. Each is a regular season NHL career high. Next up for the Caps, their final road game of the season at the President's Trophy winning Boston Bruins Tuesday night at 7. Well, we now are five games into the Nationals' seven-game trip out west, and the Nats on the trip are three and two. Not bad. Late night on Monday night, a 6-4 win at the Los Angeles Angels in game one of a three-game series. The Nats in that game overcame a 4-1 fourth-inning deficit to get the win. A win for manager Davey Martinez and the boys. I'm proud of the boys. Yeah, Davey and the boys. Proud of the boys. By the way, get well soon, Davey. Uh, Davey Martinez on Monday night was really sick. 
Uh, he watched the game from his office. He actually received IV treatment during the game. Uh, the Nats acting manager for the game was bench coach Tim Bogar. But uh, the Nats now are 4-7. and seven. The Nats now have three wins in four games. And the Nats bullpen late night on Monday night was tremendous. Uh, the Nats starting pitcher in the game was Patrick Corbin. Uh, I probably don't need to say more than that, but I will. Uh, Corbin allowed four runs in five innings. He gave up seven hits, a homer, a double, and five singles. He issued three walks. He recorded three strikeouts. He, over his five innings, threw 86 pitches, 53 strikes versus 33 balls. Now, to Corbin's credit, he gave up the four runs over the first three innings of his outing. He did then toss scoreless fourth and fifth innings. But, you know, this is what we unfortunately have come to know as a typical Patrick Corbin start. Four runs in five innings. I mean, he wasn't at his absolute worst, but his absolute worst is a special kind of bad. And he late night on Monday night certainly was not particularly good. But then came the Nats bullpen. And what a job by the pen, which, remember, had problems in the Nats' previous series, the four-game split at the Colorado Rockies. But late night on Monday night, no problems for the Nats' bullpen. Dominance, in fact. Four Nats relievers combined for four scoreless and hitless innings with five strikeouts. Mason Thompson, in the bottom of the six, faced three batters. He issued a leadoff hit by pitch, but then recorded two outs. Then Hunter Harvey came into the game. Harvey came into the game in the bottom of the sixth with a runner on second, two outs, the Nats nursing a 5-4 lead, and the great Mike Trout at the plate. And Harvey struck out Trout swinging on six pitches, the last of which was a four-seam fastball that came in at 98.3 miles per hour per stat cast. What a job by Harvey there. Harvey then tossed a scoreless bottom of the seventh that included striking out Shohei Otani on three pitches. The former Oriole, Hunter Harvey, back-to-back strikeouts of Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, albeit over two innings. Uh, but Carl Edwards Jr. then was good. A perfect bottom of the eighth with two strikeouts. And then Kyle Finnegan was good. A perfect bottom of the ninth, including striking out Mike Trout on five pitches to end the game. The Nats bullpen late night on Monday night was tremendous. Uh, the Nats offense in this win at the Angels late night on Monday night was good. Uh, the Nats scored six runs, totaled 14 hits to go with two walks, went five for 15 with runners in scoring position. Uh, now, 12 of the Nats' 14 hits were singles, so <laughs> this was another game in which the Nats did not hit for much power, but the Nats got some key hits. Like I said, 5 for 15 with runners in scoring position. Uh, Jamer Candelario, he was in that starting third baseman and number three batter. He went two for five with a two-run single and another single. Candelario in the Nats, three-run fourth, a two-out, two-run single to center field to tie the game at four. Uh, we had more production from Victor Robles. Uh, he was the Nats starting center fielder and number eight batter, two for three with two singles and an RBI fielder's choice grounder. And he went one for one on stolen bases. Robles in the Nats, one run second, a two-out single to left field on an 0-2 pitch. Robles in the Nats, one run fifth, a one-out full count opposite field single to right field. Victor Robles now in this regular season has a batting average of 412 and an on-base percentage of 487. I know it's early. I know, small sample size, but still, 
Raise your hand if you anticipated these numbers from Victor Robles 11 games into the Nats regular season. Batting average of 412 on base percentage of 487. Uh, Joey Manessis, he was the Nats starting DH and number four batter, two for five with a double and a single. The double was impressive. Top of the third, a one-out double down the left field line despite having been down in the count at one point, one, two. And the Nats are getting some good plate appearances from Dominic Smith. He was the Nats starting first baseman and number five batter, two for four with two leadoff singles and a walk. Smith in the Nats, one run second, a leadoff single through the right side of the infield. Smith in the Nats, one run seventh, a leadoff single to left center field. And Smith in the top of the ninth drew a one-out walk. A nice win for the Nats. Game two for the Nats at the Angels is another late-night affair. Tuesday night at 9.38, Josiah Gray will be the Nats' starting pitcher, and Shohei Otani will be the Angels' starting pitcher. Well, the Orioles thus far have had an up-and-down regular season. That's reflected by their record, uh, which now is 5-5. Five and five. Things have not been smooth, uh, but they also haven't been too bad. And Monday evening's game captured this. Uh, a 5-1 win over the Oakland A's at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in Game 1 of a four-game series. As yes, the O's, Joe Angel, were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column! That's right, Joe, the win column. Uh, O-Center fielder Cedric Mullins and manager Brandon Hyde got ejected in this game. Uh, they got ejected in the bottom of the seventh after Mullins took a cold strike three. Uh, the O's for the game totaled a mere six hits, but the O's won. Uh, five runs on six hits and three walks. Not bad. Uh, four of the six hits were extra base hits. Three home runs and a double. Adley Rutschman homered for a second consecutive game. He is the Orioles' starting catcher and number two batter, one for four with a solo homer as uh, Rutschman and an Orioles' one-run third smashed a one-out solo homer over the great wall of Baltimore at left field. And he hit this homer despite having been down at the count at one point, 0-2. Ryan Mountcastle has the Orioles' starting first baseman and number three batter, one for four with a two-run homer. Uh, He and an Orioles two-run first smashed a one-out two-run homer over the left center field portion of the Great Wall of Baltimore. Uh, The homer winner projected 421 feet per stat cast. And Austin Hayes, he is the Orioles starting left fielder at number five batter, two for four with a solo homer and a double. Uh, Hayes in an Orioles one-run sixth, a two-out full count solo homer to center field. That homer winner projected 417 feet per stat cast. Uh, and the Orioles pitching on Monday evening was terrific. Kyle Gibson was good for a second consecutive start. One run in six and a third innings. He did put some guys on base. He gave up five hits, a triple, two doubles, and two singles. He issued three walks and a wild pitch, but he recorded four strikeouts. He threw 92 pitches, 57 strikes versus 35 balls. Kyle Gibson now has been at least decent in each of his three starts this regular season. Gibson in the 10-9 win at the Boston Red Sox on opening day, March 30th, made his Orioles regular season debut. Four runs in five innings, but he pitched better than that final line indicated. Two of the runs that were charged to him were inherited runners who scored with the Orioles' bullpen at work. And Gibson in that game was filled multiple times by the Orioles' defense. And then Gibson in the 7-2 win at the Texas Rangers on April 4th. Two runs in seven innings. He had five strikeouts versus no walks. Uh, Also, the Orioles' bullpen on Monday evening was good. 
Three Orioles relievers, Brian Baker, CNL Perez, and Felix Batista combined for two and two-thirds scoreless innings with seven strikeouts. Seven strikeouts in less than three innings of work. Game two for the O's against the A's at Oriole Park at Camden Yards is on Tuesday evening at 635. Grayson Rodriguez will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 548, will include a lot for you on the Commanders. Also on Wednesday show, we'll talk Nationals, Orioles, and Capitals. The Nats are at the Los Angeles Angels on Tuesday night at 9.38 for game two of a three-game series. The O's are home to the Oakland A's on Tuesday evening at 6.35 for game two of a four-game series. And the Caps are at the President's Trophy-winning Boston Bruins, Tuesday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Certainly, I, I, you almost have to salute the dang Vegas. What preseason said, we're going to win 35 games. We won 35 games. That's disgusting to me. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.